Well, if you've been here all day, you know it's been a good day in the, the Lord's house, hasn't it? Man, if, I'd encourage you, if you weren't here this morning, to hop on our podcast and, and, and have a listen to that. It was a helpful message, wasn't it? Practical, helpful message on prayer. And as I was getting ready for tonight's message, here's what my custom used to be before I would preach. I would have an assignment to preach or I would know uh, a, an occasion for me to preach is coming up. I'd prepare my sermon, I'd study my Bible, I would uh, type it all up, I'd get it done, but I always seem to find myself about an hour before I'm ready to preach, I always found myself in desperation mode. And here's why. Because I haven't met with the Lord yet. I prepared a message, but I never spent any time with prayer talking to Jesus about the message that I was telling people he gave me. And here's what I found out, church, is that regular prayer cuts that kind of desperation prayer out. So you'll find yourself, when you're, when you're going into a battle, you won't have to spend 30 minutes getting your heart right and confessing sin and getting junk out of your life before you can talk to God about what you need to talk to Him about. So I found myself in my office this evening simply praying, Lord, help me to help our people. I didn't have to spend an hour conf- confessing sin or getting right with God. Church, I'm telling you, if, if you weren't here this morning or if you were here, take those principles to heart and, and learn to develop a pattern of prayer. So we're, we're in 1 Samuel 14, right? 1 Samuel 14. I, I'm going to keep in mind this coming January that if I want my waistline to survive the holidays here at Fellowship Baptist Church, um, I've got to start dieting in January because the amount of goodies that we have received over Thanksgiving and Christmas is just unreal. Like, I don't even know what to do with it. I feel like my sole diet right now, the, what I am running on tonight is one macronutrient that is a carb. I am running on all carbs. I'm running on pretzels and cookies and uh, monkey bread and all of that good stuff. I, I wish I was still a kid, you know, where you could eat all that stuff and it wouldn't matter. You could eat all that stuff and, and you would still sleep just fine and you could run and play and you, you'd sugar burn out and you have a metabolism and, and you're good. I, I wish I was a kid for that reason. There's another reason I, I wish I was a kid. I, I wish I was a kid again uh, for the imagination that kids have. Do you remember the imagination you had as a kid? You could take on a single army in your backyard with a stick. You remember those days? Like no one, like maybe your mom would be looking out the window watching you play or something. My thing was wrestling a pillow on my trampoline. Or your bike, when you were a kid, your bike wasn't a bike. It was a horse that you were running away from the law on because you just robbed a stagecoach. Are you with me? When we were kids, man, we had great imaginations, didn't we? When I was a kid, I, I was a different character every single day of my life. I was a wrestler one day. One day I was Lane Frost, the bull rider. One day I was Michael Jordan from Space Jam. One day I was Agent J from Men in Black. One day I was a Power Ranger. One day I was Batman. I was uh, Robin. I was Spider-Man, Power Ranger, you name it. I had a character for every day and I would just rotate them. I just, I had an amazing imagination as a kid. I think the imagination and faith of a child is one of the reasons Jesus tells us to have a faith like a child, to have faith like a child. You follow me? As you get older, older, your imagination starts to degenerate, doesn't it? 
It, it starts to uh, fade away. Everything becomes black and white and everything begins to become routine, doesn't it? Think about a baby Christian. When a baby Christian gets saved, they're, they're on fire, aren't they? They're like, wow. They're in all that the God of heaven will look down upon their sin and forgive them of that sin and make them a citizen of his kingdom. They're in all of it. But what happens when we get older as Christians, when we become seasoned saints? Well, everything becomes uniform. Everything becomes ritual. One preacher said, if we could keep the, the baby Christians away from the old Christians, we could do a lot for the Lord. We get too seasoned. We become too routine. Some would say that that approach to God after you are saved is normal. When in reality, that approach to God when you are saved is backsliding. It's backsliding. It's not normal to, to get hemmed up in a box and, and everything to become ritual and routine anymore. It's not normal. That's not how a normal Christian is supposed to live. No, a normal Christian is still supposed to live with that imaginative childlike faith. There are two types of Christians in here today. There are Christians who are moving forward, and there are Christians who are moving backward. There is no neutral with God. You're either progressing in your Christianity and your walk with the Lord, or you're moving backwards. The comparison of the two kinds of faith that I'm talking about tonight, the imaginative faith and the uh, degenerative faith, is actually found in uh, 1 Samuel chapter number 14. Before we head into 1 Samuel chapter number 14, we need to understand what happened back in 13. It's been a couple weeks, so just a refresher really quickly. In chapter 13, Saul took things into his own hands, didn't he? He, he, he was supposed to wait for Samuel to come and make a sacrifice. But on the seventh day, Samuel hadn't uh, arrived yet. So here's what he did. He made the sacrifice himself. Samuel told him, Saul... God has rejected you as king. You're no longer the king. Your dynasty is done. I have chosen a man out that, that has a, a heart after my own, Saul. If you'll remember, they went into the battle against the Philistines with 3,000. 3,000 soldiers. Saul had 2,000. Jonathan had 1,000. Do you remember what they were up against? They were up against over 30,000. 30,000 Philistine soldiers. At the end of chapter 13, here's where Israel finds himself. They find themselves down to about 600. They find themselves unable to get their hands on uh, adequate weaponry. And they find themselves with a rejected king. And as we head into chapter 14, uh, a garrison, which is a, a military outpost, has mobilized. And then we pick up in verse 1 of chapter 14. Now, here's what we're going to do. This is quite the lengthy chapter. It is... 52 verses in length. The section we're going to cover is 46 verses in length. So here's what we're going to do tonight. I'm going to do my best job of telling the story of 1 Samuel chapter number 14. After that, we're going to go into two different lists. We're going to see degenerative faith in one list. And then we're going to see imaginative faith in the other list. Are you with me? Okay. 1 Samuel 14. It sets the stage by Jonathan and his armor bearer making a plan to attack a military outpost. The Philistines' military outpost. It starts that way. In verse 2, we find the rejected king Saul sitting under a pomegranate tree. 
And not only is Saul sitting under a pomegranate tree, he's hanging out with Ahiah. Ahiah is the priest of Israel, the priest of Israel. But if you'll look closely at verse 2, you'll see in there a name named Ichabod. Do you remember the word Ichabod? And you'll also see a Phineas. You'll see a Phineas. Do you remember who Phineas was? Phineas, Hophni, and Phineas, the wicked uh, uh, children of Eli. And they did gross sin in Israel. And it just flew uh, right under Eli's radar and he never did anything about it. So because of that, God rejected Eli's priesthood and their entire family's priesthood totally rejected it. They were the rejected priests of Israel. That's who the rejected king of Israel is hanging out with. He's hanging out with the rejected priest. We flip back to Jonathan. Jonathan is about to go attack a military outpost with just one other guy. To get there, they were going to have to scale uh, two uh, boulder mountain type things, uh, rock, rocky surfaces um, that, that according to commentators, no one in their right mind would try to climb. The one uh, was so sharp and rocky, you would cut yourself trying to climb up and down it. The other one was covered with bushes and so it would have been very thorny. And, and essentially the most adventurous of hikers would have never, ever, ever, ever tried to climb this thing. But that's how they were supposed to get to the outpost. You following me? So here's what Jonathan says. Come on, buddy. We're going to go. He probably didn't say buddy. Come on. We're going to go and attack this garrison. We're going to go fight them. Just me and you. We're going to go through this passageway here. We're going to attack them. We're going to fight them. He says this. It doesn't matter if there's just two of us or if God allows the entire army of Israel to go and fight these people. I believe, armor bearer, that if you follow me, we're going to get the victory today. The armor bearer says, let's do it. Let's do it. John said, here is the plan. We're going to show ourselves to them. We're going to come out in the open and we're going to present ourselves to them. Just me and you. And so can you imagine that? You're hanging out at the military outpost with you and your buddy, and you see these two guys step up and be like, yo, what's up? Y'all want some? Can you imagine that? It's an entire military outpost. And two guys step up and they're like, let's go. What are we waiting on? Jonathan said this. He tells his armor bearer, if they say to us, you just stay right there. We're going to come to you. Then we know that it is not God's will for us to fight them. But wouldn't they want them to come to them? Like they could ambush them if that was the case. No, rather Jonathan says, if they say come down here and let us teach you a lesson, we're going to go down there and teach them a lesson. So what did the Philistines do? They said, hey, you two Hebrews, they're mocking them. You two Hebrews, come on down here. We want to show you something. They're essentially saying, we want to teach you a lesson. Jonathan said, okay, it's God's will. He, he's given them to us. So I love this story so much. If, if, if you are a person who says the Bible is boring, you don't read it. <laughs> because you can't read 1 Samuel 14 and not come away pumped up ready to charge an army yourself. The two of them, they scale this rock passageway on their hands and their feet. They climb it. I can barely climb up these stairs without getting out of breath. But these two guys scaled a passageway, hands and feet, and they got up. And it's amazing. What happened was Jonathan started clotheslining dudes. You following me? Like it's like, like, a, like a movie or like a wrestling something. Like they're coming out, he's clotheslining. While he's clotheslining and knocking them down, the armor bearer's coming behind him and stabbing them. And it, it happens again. He stabs them. They're just going through and they kill. What happens is they rack up 20 of them. They kill 20 of them. 
And they came away unscathed. As soon as this happens, God sends an earthquake. What God is doing there is he is letting the nation of Israel know, I'm in this. He's letting Jonathan know, I'm in this. He was divinely intervening. And what that did was it sent the Philistines into an absolute frenzy. They didn't know what to do. They started running around. They started panicking. They started fighting each other. And then Saul was like, whoa, what's going on here? He like woke up from the, like, I guess a pomegranate hit him on the head from the commotion. And he woke up. He's like, whoa, what's going on here? So he goes to the priest and he says, priest, get the ark of God. The reason he did that was he wanted to get God's opinion. Should I go into the battle? What should we do here? The commotion becomes so much that Saul says, you know what? Just do away with the ark of God. We're going to go fight. We don't need to hear God's opinion. This is moving too quick. We got to go fight. Here's what happens. Israelites, 600 of them, who were in hiding, come out of hiding. They, they notice what's going on. They notice what God is doing to the Philistines, and they come out of hiding. And then Hebrew people that had deserted the Hebrews and went on to the Philistine side switched back sides. They flipped back over to the Israelite side, and they began to pursue and attack the Philistines. It was awesome. It was amazing. And it says in verse 23, God wrought salvation in Israel that day. It's an amazing story. But then it changes. In verse 24, it says the people were greatly distressed. How much sense does that make? Like, like Israel's back. You know what I mean? It's like, you know, when, when the Yankees stink for a few years and then they get really good, it's like the Yankees are back. Or when the Boston Celtics stink for a few years and then they get really good, it's like Boston's back. It was like Israel was back. Their faith had returned. They started fighting for the Lord again. They started believing that 600 could take out 30,000 because the Lord was in it. They believed. But then it says they're greatly distressed. Why? Well, Saul said, I don't want a single one of you to take another bite of food until I avenge myself of mine enemies. That's what happens. They were hungry. They were starved out. They go into a wooded area. This is after the battle here. They, they move into a wooded area where they find a bunch of honey on the ground. There's probably a bunch of beehives and there's just natural honey all over the place. But they couldn't eat it. Have you ever been like walked into a bakery and told you couldn't have a donut? Don't you know that's wrong? They, they, they go into the wooded area. There's honey all over the place, but they can't eat it because Saul said, if you eat something before I visit myself of my enemies, you're going to die. Jonathan didn't hear that though. So Jonathan stuck his rod into the honey and ate some. And his eyes were enlightened. That means he was refreshed because it's just logical when you're hungry and you eat something, you feel better, right? The people said, Jonathan, man, you weren't supposed to do that. And Jonathan says, what's this guy doing? Doesn't he know that if he, he's troubled Israel today? Doesn't he know that if he would have allowed our troops to eat, we could have had a greater slaughter of the Philistines? What happens next is really crazy. They go from not eating at all to flying upon the spoils of the Philistines and eating meat with the blood in it, which is a big no-no for, for Jewish people. Saul then goes to make a sacrifice to God for the sins of the people. And then what happens at the end of the story, it, Saul finds out that Jonathan actually was the one that ate the honey and he wants to have Jonathan killed. And then Jonathan's life is actually spared by the army of Israel because he just saved their lives. He just wrought a great day, a great salvation in Israel. 
And the end of chapter 14 is the uh, reign of Saul, given there at the end. And this chapter is the last chapter in 1 Samuel where Saul is going to be highlighted as the king of Israel. From here on out, he's simply going to play as a foil to King David. So that, that's what happens in 1 Samuel 14. Are y'all, are y'all good with that? Now, for the rest of our time here, we're going to look at two different kinds of faith. There's two different types of Christians. Christians who are moving forward and Christians who are moving backward. There's never, never a neutral place with God. And I think that the remainder of our time will be well spent by looking at the two faiths here of faith that is backtracking and faith that is going forward. All right, so degenerative faith. Let's look at degenerative faith. Verse number two. We're going to read uh, the verses that, that I call out, so follow along with me in your Bible. Verse number two. It says, And Saul tarried in the uttermost part of Gibeah under a pomegranate tree, which is in Migron, and the people that were with him were about 600 men. People with degenerative faith, number one, if you're taking notes this, this evening, they have no spiritual ambition. Here's a good way to do this. Make a column and then cut it in half with, with your pen and then put degenerative faith and imaginative faith. And I want you to write this list down. And at the end of the service, I want you to see which list you closely, closely line up with. So number one, no spiritual ambition. As Jonathan and the armor bearer, as they were mobilizing an attack on the Philistine army, where do we find Saul? Anybody? Y'all said y'all were tracking with me, man. Come on. He's under a pomegranate tree, isn't he? He was defeated. He was, he was no doubt at the lowest point of his career as king. He was rejected of God. He was probably depressed. Let's not forget here. This is a spiritual war going on. Back in this day, when Israel went to war, it, it wasn't just a war for war's sake. No, everything was about God. For the Israelites, everything was about God. Like he, he was everything to them. Everything they did, they ate, they slept, they moved, they breathed. And it all had to do re- resolving or, or revolving rather around God. So Saul's passivity here, it wasn't just a lack of wartime ambition. It wasn't because he ran out of uh, military strategies. No, he, he didn't have any spiritual zeal left. He was supposed to be God's number one man. He was supposed to be the guy that, that God was closely connected to and he was leading God's people. Remember, this isn't just a war. This is a spiritual war. But Saul didn't have any spiritual ambition. Hey, the same thing happens today for Christians, don't they? We lose our appetite for God. We lose our desire for God. Hey, if you've ever found yourself in a place where, where you just don't feel like reading the Bible anymore. Oh, here we go. Back to Sunday school stuff. Yes, reading your Bible is Sunday school stuff. But it's also stuff for the 30, 40, 50, 60, 70 years old. This is, this is everything, folks. Spiritual ambition. No spiritual ambition is when, is when we don't have a desire for the Word anymore. It's when we don't have a desire to, to pray to God anymore. It's like we, we sit down or, or kneel down for two minutes and we just can't get through it. We just don't feel like it. Spirit, no spiritual ambition. It's when we don't even want to show up to church. It's when we, it's when we 
stay home and, and turn church on, on live stream and, and go about our duties around the house. We will say we did it, but we just have no spiritual ambition. Hey, people with degenerative faith, number one, they have no spiritual ambition. That is exactly where Saul is in verse number two. Number two, degenerative faith keeps bad company. Verse number three, it says, And Ahiah, the son of Ahitub, Ichabod's brother, the son of Phinehas, the son of Eli, the Lord's priest in Shiloh, wearing an ephod, and the people knew not that Jonathan was gone. Number two tonight, degenerate faith keeps a bad company. As I mentioned before, who's Saul hanging out with? Rather, who is it that just left Saul? Samuel, the man of God. Saul went from associating with the man of God in Israel to now associating with the rejected priest. People who have degenerative faith, people who are taking uh, steps back in their faith, they don't hang out with the godly bunch. They don't hang out with the Jonathans. They hang out with the Hyathas. They hang out with the Ichabods and the Phineases and the Hophnis. That's who they hang out with. So if you find yourself tonight Christian and all you are doing is spending time with people who are either backslidden or not Christians at all, you might want to check yourself because you might have degenerative faith. Hey man, invest yourself in people that are backslidden. Invest yourself in lost people. Absolutely. But if they're the prime source of who you get all your energy from and all your entertainment out of and all your friendship and all your condolences from, hey, we've gone wrong somewhere. Number two tonight. Degenerative faith keeps bad company. Number three, degenerative faith doesn't hear from God. Degenerative faith, those who have degenerative faith do not hear from God. Look at verse 18 and 19. It says, And Saul said unto Ahiah, Bring hither the ark of God, for the ark of God was at that time with the children of Israel. And it came to pass, while Saul talked unto the priest, that the noise that was in the host of Philistines went on and increased. And Saul said unto the priest, Withdraw your hand. Look over at verse 37 real quick. It says, And Saul asked counsel of God, Shall I go down after the Philistines? Wilt thou deliver them into the hand of Israel? But he answered him not that day. In verse 18 and 19, Saul wanted to hear from God through the priest that if he should go into the battle or not. But before God could give him the answer he wanted, he leapt into battle anyways. And then in verse number 37, Saul tried to get God's mind on another matter. And it says God didn't give him the answer that day. God wouldn't speak to him. God wouldn't talk to him. First of all, Saul wasn't truly committed to hearing from God, but he also wasn't living a life that God would speak into. Did you hear that? He wasn't committed to hearing in the first place, but he wasn't living a life that God could speak into. So for us, our problem is that we think we can live however we want to. And we think that we can, uh, uh, however we want, and anytime we want God's mind on something, he will give it to us. You following me? We think we can do what we want, watch what we want, uh, listen to what we want, hang out with who we want, do whatever we want to do apart from God. And then whenever we want to hear God's mind on a matter, we think he'll give it to us. That's our problem tonight. Degenerative faith does not hear from God. You cannot live in a backslidden state and just think when you come back to God, you're all good again. It doesn't work that way. Not without some repentance. Not without some confession of sin. 
Hey, we can't live like the world and we can't live however we want to, whenever we want to and think that, wow, everything's going to be golden and, and good when I go back to God. That's not how it works. For in order for God to speak into your life, you've got to be living in such a way that he can speak into your life. Number four, degenerative faith, probably not the best wording. People who have degenerative faith are arrogant. They're arrogant. Look at verse number 24. And the men of Israel were distressed that day, for Saul had adjured the people, saying, Cursed be the man that eateth any food until evening, that I may be avenged on my enemies. So none of the people tasted any food. Saul was totally arrogant, wasn't he? He made his soldiers to go hungry during the middle of a battle because he wanted to avenge himself. This wasn't about God anymore. This wasn't about fighting for God's honor the way that Jonathan does in this chapter. No, 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 no. This is all about Saul. This isn't about the nation of Israel. This isn't about the troops. This isn't about, this isn't about anyone but Saul. Can you imagine? You don't take another bite until I get my revenge. How selfish. How arrogant could he be? Like how, how arrogant and foolish can you be to think that unfed soldiers are going to help you avenge yourself of your enemies better than fed soldiers? That's arrogant. But if we're not careful, we're the exact same way. People with degenerate faith, they, they tend to turn inward. They get selfish. Life becomes all about them. And when everything you do is all about you, you probably have degenerative faith. Look, there is nothing, and I mean nothing, in my opinion, that is more unlike Jesus Christ than, than arrogance. Think about it. I, I taught in, in Sunday school this morning. We were going over what we preached through an impact this last semester. We preached through Matthew chapter number one. Do you remember Matthew chapter one? It's one of my favorite chapters in the whole Bible. But at the end of the chapter, it refers to Jesus as Emmanuel. Girls, what does Emmanuel mean? God with us. It means God with us. So you're telling me that the king of heaven, the king of all glory, stripped himself of his glory, stripped himself of his crown, of his rope, and came down to this earth and became a man, took on flesh, had our blood, and dwelt among sick, disgusting, nasty, sinful people? That's selfless. That's sacrificial. That's the total opposite of arrogance. Christian, the one thing that is most like Christ, in my opinion, is arrogance. Christ was never inward focused. He came to serve, not to be served. But degenerative faith, people with degenerative faith are arrogant. Number five, degenerative faith, people with degenerative faith are religious. Look at verse 34 and 35. Since Saul said, uh, said, disperse yourselves among the people and said to them, bring me hither every man his ox and every man his sheep and slay them here and eat and sin not against the Lord and eating with the blood. And all the people brought every man his ox with them that night and slew him. And Saul built an altar unto the Lord. And the same was the first altar that he built unto the Lord. When Saul's men brought him the news that the people had taken the spoil from the Philistines and ate the meat with the blood. Here's what Saul did. He got religious real quick. He, he tried to do something in order to gain God's favor. And what that something he tried to do was make a sacrifice. 
was making atonement. Which, by the way, wasn't his job in the first place, was it? No. But here he is trying to do something. Saul, the, the thing with Saul, and most of the time he wasn't even religious. Here he, he was totally religious, yet he had no relationship. He was totally far from God, and yet he's thinking that God's going to accept his offering? But if we're not careful, we're the same way. Just because you do religious duties doesn't mean you have Christ-honoring faith. You can show up to church. You can go through the motions in your ministries. You can even be here on a Wednesday night. But on the inside, your spiritual heart's not beating. On the inside, you're degenerative. On the inside, you're backslidden. You're just showing up to show up. You're just showing up because you know that someone who has imaginative faith will shoot you a text saying, hey, where were you at? People who have degenerative faith are religious people. Lastly, look at number six. Degenerative people are merciless. I'm not going to read the text, but in verses 39 through 44, Saul was going to have his own son killed. Why? For eating some honey. Saul made an oath. An oath that said, if any man eats before evening time, before I get my revenge, cursed be that man. He's going to die. The thing about Saul's oath, it wasn't biblical. It wasn't based on Old Testament law. It wasn't based on anything God told him to do. It was a selfish, arrogant rule that Saul made up himself. And when he found out that it was Jonathan that ate the honey, when he found that out, just to prove a point, he said, Jonathan, I don't care how much good you did for Israel today. You're going to die. People who have degenerative faith are merciless people. They don't have mercy. Here's what happens. When you have degenerative faith, you don't see the need to be merciful. Because when you, when you have, hold on, hold on, lost myself here. I have a question for you before I move on. How many of you were a wreck before you met Jesus? Raise your hand. By show of hands, right? How many of you had some baggage before you met Jesus? And think, God in his goodness showed us mercy. And he took away our uh, havoc that we've made. And he, and he took away the baggage that we, uh, we gathered up to ourselves, didn't he? But here's what happens to people with degenerative faith. I don't know why I'm clapping so much. I never do that. People, I don't know, it's weird. People with degenerative faith, listen, listen. People with degenerative faith, they become merciless because they forget the mercy that God has given to them. And they just simply don't see the need to be merciful to people. People who have degenerative faith, they forget to see that, that as Jesus has put your baggage under his blood, when people wrong you, even if it's for a dumb oath like Saul's, we still owe them mercy. Let's go through this. Degenerative faith. People with degenerative faith have no spiritual ambition. They keep bad company. They don't hear from God. They're arrogant, religious, and merciless. Those are the six characteristics of degenerative faith. I hope you got them in your column. Let's finish this up tonight by looking at characteristics of imaginative faith. Number one. 
for imaginative faith, people with imaginative faith seek to serve God and not self. Or you could put, seeks to serve God, comma, not self, as is up there. What I love about Jonathan, look at verse 1. It says, Now it came to pass upon a day that Jonathan the son of Saul said unto the young man that bare his armor, Come, and let us go over the Philistines' garrison that is on the other side. But he told not his father. What I love so much about this story, and what I love so much about Jonathan, is that Jonathan still wanted to serve the king, even though he was never going to be the king. Did you know that Jonathan probably, in his, humanly speaking, had every right to crawl up in his daddy's lap under that tree and, and mope and, and moan and, and, uh, and whine and complain and be in a depressed state because of his father's actions, Saul's dynasty was gone forever. And Jonathan himself would never get the chance to be king, ever. And from reading this chapter or from hearing the story of this chapter, I'm starting to think that Jonathan would have made a way better king than Saul ever would have. But, but, but Jonathan knew, no doubt, I'll never be the king. That didn't stop him from serving the king. You see, he had imaginative faith. He, he, he sought to serve God and not himself. It had been so easy for him to complain about a situation. But he said, hey, armor bearer, I don't care what these other 598 guys do. I don't care what my dad does. Me and you, we're going to attack us in Philistines. Because here's the thing. God said when his people go into war by faith, he's got their back. Do you see what he said in verse 6? He called them uncircumcised. That means they were not a part of the covenant of God. He still sought to serve God and not self. Here's where it shows up in our life. You may never be a point man. You may never be a point lady. You may never do ministry in front of people. You may not ever be a leader of a Sunday school class, a connection group. You may never be the lead teacher of a children's church ministry. You may never lead the bus. You may never do any of that stuff. But in order to have imaginative faith, you have to put yourself on the back burner and say, I'm going to serve God no matter what. It doesn't matter if I'm recognized. It doesn't matter if I'm noticed. None of that matters. I'm going to serve God no matter what. That's how it shows up in our life. Number two, people with imaginative faith seek to serve God, not self. They also don't presume upon God's will. In verse six, it says, and Jonathan said to the young man that bear his armor, come and let us go over unto the garrison of these uncircumcised. It may be, I love that phrase. It may be that the Lord will work for us for there is no restraint to the Lord to save by many or by few. What's different about Jonathan and many of the leaders we've seen in 1 Samuel so far is that he didn't try to force God's hand on anything. He said, we're going to make this plan and we're simply going to trust that God is in it and it may, and it may be, it just may be that he'll help us out here. It wasn't saying, God, I'm going to go, I'm going to go get the Ark of the Covenant. I'm going to go get the Ark and, and I'm going to twist your arm and to give us this, this victory. No, that wasn't, that wasn't Jonathan's attitude at all. Jonathan didn't presume upon God's will. He said, I'm going to make this plan and I'm going to trust God. That, that's it. That's, that's, that's what he did. But people, uh, people that have degenerative faith, what they do is they say, God, I'll do this for you if you do this for me. That's not what people with imaginative faith do. They just say, God, if, if you're in it, I'm in it. Let's do this thing. They don't say, God, I'll, I'll pay my tithe 
if. God, I'll show up to church if. I'll be faithful to my, they, they don't make deals with God. Because a relationship with God isn't about us, uh, uh, us scratching God's back and, and God scratching our back. That's not how it works, friend. He's not, a, he's not a genie in the bottle. We don't just get to call him out whenever we want. And he, he comes down and does whatever we tell him to do. That's not how God works, friend. He, he's limitless. He has his own standard of things. He has his own will. The Christian life, the imaginative faith life is about saying, God, it's not about my will. It's about your will. People with imaginative faith don't presume upon God's will. Number three. Verse six again. It says, for there is no restraint to the Lord to save by many or by few. Number three, people with imaginative faith, they don't limit God's ability. They don't limit God's ability. I love the confidence that Jonathan had in God here. Like it's got to take some serious imagination for Jonathan to tell his armor bearer, me and you, buddy, we're in this together. We're going to go fight and God's going to deliver it if he's in it. It's going to happen. That takes some crazy imagination, doesn't it? I wouldn't just go attack some military outpost with me and Pastor Tyler here. No offense, bro, but I don't think me and you can take on a whole army. But John said, it doesn't matter if there's a few of us. It doesn't matter if it's just me. It doesn't matter if there's 600 of us. God can do what he wants to do. People with imagined faith, they do not limit God's ability. So how does that play out in your life? Well, what happens is we tend to think we live, we live like this. Oh, God can't help my marriage. God can't fix my finances. God can't heal my diseases. God can't, even stuff like this. We, we think, oh God, he can't give us the car we need. God can't give us the house we need. God can't repair the friendships that we have. What's happened, church, is we've, we've become so grown up. We've become so seasoned Christians and we forget about who the God of this Bible is. If, if, if he's the same yesterday, today, and forever, then we got to know that the God who parted the Red Sea is still capable of doing the same today. If he's capable of giving victory to two men against 30,000, he's capable of, of clearing your medical expenses or helping your relationship out, isn't he? Man, what's happened though is we've, we've, we've lost the awe factor. We, we've lost the wonder of who God is. We've, we've lost the fact that God is capable of anything he wants to do. Jonathan says, armor bearer, it's just me and you versus 30,000. And if God's in this, we'll win. Imaginative faith doesn't limit God's ability. Lastly, imaginative faith ignites faith in others. Look at verse 7. And his armor bearer said unto him, Do all that is in thine heart, turn thee. Behold, I am with thee according to thy heart. Look at verse 20. And Saul and all the people that were with him assembled themselves, and they came to the battle. And behold, every man's sword was against his fellow, and there was a very great discomfiture. That means there was a great panic. Moreover, the Hebrews that were with the Philistines before that time, which went up with, the, with them into the camp from the country round about, even they also turned to be with the Israelites. So it was Saul, 
Likewise, all the men of Israel which had hid themselves in the Mount Ephraim when they had heard that the Philistines fled, even they also followed hard after them in battle. When someone has imaginative faith, it's contagious. It can't go unnoticed. It has a way to, uh, of spreading itself to all the people that are around it. That's why in verse 7, think about this. Jonathan's armor bearer, a servant, told Jonathan, Jonathan, this plan is crazy, but I am with you as your own heart is with you. That's what he was saying there in verse 7. Jonathan, I know your plan sounds ridiculous to me and the rest of the world, but because I see your faith in Jehovah God, I'm going to follow you wherever you go. And then in verse 20 and 22, what happens is we see the deserters, the people that turned on the Israelites and fought for the Philistines, turned back to the Israelites. And what happened to the people that were hiding themselves? They came out of hiding to join the war. Imagine to faith is contagious. Amen. It ignites the faith of others. And that's what happens in 1 Samuel 14. I've got to ask you though, Whose faith are you igniting? Who wants to be a more committed follower of Jesus Christ because of your influence? Who are you discipling? Who are you pulling along in the, the battle that we're in? Who is it? I can, I can think, I wrote them down yesterday on a piece of paper in my office. I can, I can name five guys right now that anytime I talk to them, they spur me on to want to be more like Jesus. They do. So who are you doing that for? And if you're not currently doing that for somebody, if you're someone who's on the degenerative side of things, get around somebody who is igniting people. Get around people who are influencing to live by faith. Get around someone who's wiser than you. Get around someone who reads their Bible better than you. Get around someone who prays better than you. Get around someone who's been through darker valleys and tougher circumstances than you and they've proved themselves to be faithful. Get around, get around those people. Let them ignite your faith because here's what happens. When people show imaginative faith and they live with imaginative faith, imaginative faith simply means that they have the awe of God. They still have the wonder of who God is. People like that, they inspire other people to do the same. So who are you influencing or who are you being influenced by? Let's look at the four. Imaginative faith seeks to serve God, not self. It doesn't presume on God's will. It doesn't limit God's ability. It ignites faith in others. What an eye-opening narrative, isn't it? A comparison of two men. A rejected king and a king that never was. One had degenerative faith, Saul. But the other had imaginative faith. So now that your pins are probably down, which side of the column are you on? Like if you, if you numbered all of them like I did, which, which side of the column has more numbers circled? If you had to say which one you were. Are you predominantly on the degenerative side of things or are you on the imaginative side of things? I want to conclude like this. My, my purpose for this sermon tonight is that you would walk away this evening with a desire to live a life of imaginative faith. What kind of life of that? It's, it's, a, it's a faith that still has the type of awe in God that he can do whatever he wants to do. It's the kind of faith that seeks to serve God and not self. It's the type of faith that, that doesn't presume upon God's will and doesn't limit God's ability. 
It's the type of faith that ignites other people to want to be better followers of Jesus Christ. So as our music people come, here's what I want you to do. Brother Mike, Miss Kay, as they come, I want you to look over that, that if you took notes, I want you to look over the two columns. The key to this whole thing is you have to be honest with yourself and you have to be honest with God. So take inventory tonight. Read those two columns and really determine in your heart which faith side are you on. Are you progressing towards following Jesus or are you backsliding? Are you an imaginative follower of Christ or are you a degenerative father, follower of Christ? And this is what I want you to do. If you're on the degenerative side of things, what's so great about the Lord we serve, Jesus Christ, what's so great is he gives new mercies every day. He gives new compassions every morning. So here's what will happen. If you come tonight down to an altar and you say, God, I've been living on the degenerative side of things. Would you help me to get on the other side of the column? You know what will happen? He'll help that process begin. But you've got to repent. You've got to confess. And you've got to have an earnest heart before God tonight. If you're on the right side of the column, all I can say to you is pray for God's help to continue to stay that way. And keep influencing others to follow Jesus as you are following Jesus. So as Miss Kay and Mike plays, I want to have you to stand.